Paolo Bortolomeoli is the guest conductor with the Charlotte Symphony for concerts by the uh, symphony on Friday, February 25th and Saturday, February 26th. Currently, he's the associate conductor of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. He's also music director of the Esperanza Azteca National Symphony Orchestra in Mexico and the Santiago Philharmonic in his native Chile. And he works with audiences around the world. In Charlotte, he'll lead Kabalevsky's Cello Concerto No. 1, featuring cellist Christine Lamprea, as well as music by Caridiano and Gabriela Ortiz. Paolo, we're really happy to have you here today, so thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. One of the things that I've read about you is that you are very much interested and devoted to new music and new audiences, and everything on the program, well, there Seems are... New. <laughs> it's it's new, yeah, like late 20th century or or just in the past several years. So talk about your interest in, in new music and new audiences. Why does that inspire you? Somehow I, I think I always was interested in the in the new music aspects because I feel that music like or performing art in general is kind of this living organism, you know. So it's not only about looking back but actually to, to get to know what is happening. Because even if it's really obvious to say this, but we tend to forget, every piece at some point was a new piece, was a premiere. And somehow all these major pieces were also kind of a breakthrough moments of art, of aesthetic. So I like to, to see the classics in that way, you know, like all of them are new pieces, but you know, it just happened to be in the in the past. So that is why I think my interest in new music, it's kind of like um, influenced by that view. So it's not that I prefer, you know, 21 century music over 19th century music. It's just that I think it's, it's really interesting to keep connected to the development of music and also to remind audiences that uh, composition as an art hasn't you know uh, ended it's 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 still happening and, and it's happening every day and every day we have a new piece to be premiered and that is connected also to my view with my view with the um, audiences because I think that maybe now more than ever artists have in their hands the responsibility to to get close to people you know to invite them to encourage to uh, live the experience of the here and the now and to be in a theater and live through that, that experience of communication, community, where it, there is so much about connection, you know? And, and somehow when you have a new piece, you are delivering the same message, but making an emphasis on how also the creation process is part also of the whole experience. It's not just a performing experience, but it's actually a whole. So I I think in that way, also in, in kind of like a philosophy way to connect uh, with new audiences and bring their attention. How do you find these new audiences? You know, how do you tricky. take that music? <laughs> <laughs> I would say tricky because I, I think, you know, we're facing a, a, a kind of like difficult times for performing arts in general and not only regarding classical music it's it's kind of about you know the whole concept of going to a space to experience that thing that for me it's it's a sacred right you know it's kind of like this the the, the people gathering around a bonfire type sort of event you know which which is surrounded by this 
mystical and beautiful subjectivity because everything that happens there, it's, it's, it's just how you perceive it. You know, there is no uh, a guarantee that you will get a kind of like a concrete objective product from that experience. And that's beautiful because that's what it makes the, the whole performing experience so unique. But in the, the recent times, especially during the pandemic, I think it was emphasized this kind of like getting a little bit distant of this, but at the same time, technology that became kind of like a, a, a very good ally, but at the same time, a, a, a tricky tool, I think started to spoil, <laughs> not in a good way, uh, audiences by bringing, you know, fantastic products, which I think it's all only positive, but at the same time, kind of like making it seems like that it's, all we need from art, the really HD video with a fantastic surround uh, uh, audio, which is great. But at the same time, it's getting in the way on the main purpose of this, which is, again, to leave the experience to, to, to the, the gathering, you know, the community, this uh, sense of um, the, the empathy with the, the, the another one, you know, this, this sense of team, with right. the with the person that you have next to you, but also with all the, the people that is in in the on stage. So all that concept, I think now it's becoming a little bit tricky to retell that to new audiences because I think it's a must for us artists to keep saying stronger than ever that okay, whatever you consume as, as culture will always be positive, but you have to come, you have to leave this because that's one of the most essential actions that we do as human beings. You did say this already, but I was thinking that the pandemic has really made that connection and community harder. The technology that we have, that we're using, like you and I are using right now on Zoom to connect, gives you new opportunities to reach people maybe who couldn't come to your concert hall, but it's, Absolutely. like you said, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Exactly. What about people who have not typically um, gone to classical music concerts. And there are a lot of them, right? There, there are a lot of people out there that have not really experienced um, what we call classical music. And I know that you're exploring new repertoire yourself all the time. Have you had any experience getting some of those people? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, an exercise that I always try to do, you know, like try to bring to a concert people that haven't, ever been in a concert hall. I think that's kind of like a, a, a personal challenge because in my own experience, I only can say that the, the, the most popular outcome is a positive one. And, and it's always kind of like the same thing. You know, it's, it's so great and, 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 and gratifying to listen to these people that have never been there. And they said things like, you know, I never thought this was going to be like this, you know, with, with so much, much passion, so much energy. I loved it. And the sound and the movement, you know, there, there's this kind of like a thing that uh, attracts a lot to, to people that never been there, which is the physicality of an orchestra, you know, like the movements, the, the string sections, uh, and all this kind of a uh, thing that, again, what makes it so fantastic is that it's a human expression. It's not something that, you know, it, it came up out from a, like a, a random theory. No, it's just like, it's the drums, it's the heartbeat, it's the breathing, it's the, it's the voice. It's, I mean, everything that makes us humans, it's there in, in the music. And in the other hand, 
the whole narrative of, of this so-called classical music, it's also so relatable to what we experience as humans, human beings, because it's not about only a melody, only a set of chords, only a rhythm. It's about contrasts. It's about like how every single piece goes through so many different states of feelings and, and, and passion and sadness and happiness. And there is like a, the, the, the vitality of the, of the Allegro, but there is this kind of like the mournful of Alento makes you reflect on life or, or just to be happy. I mean, there's so many things that the music brings to you in one single piece that for me, it makes the, the whole narrative really close to you as a way of how you experience the world. Well, that leads to a question I had about you know, educational initiatives and projects that you've been involved with. And uh, it's very interesting to me that you have tried to um, create uh, content or videos that you can share and push out on social media. That has a name, right? That project, Ponle Yes, Ponle Pausa. Yes, yeah. which is uh, Press Post. That's what it means. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that. I think that's a very interesting idea. Clearly, you are aiming at a certain demographic, right, with that? Yes and no, because, I mean, the, the origin of this was the, the, the high, the, the deep impression that it cost me when I was like a uh, really young age, uh, the Young People Concert from Bernstein. So I, when I discovered Bernstein, when I was like, I don't know, 12 or something like that, it was just like, my God, this is it. The whole concept, it makes so much sense to me. You know, like having not only the educator, but the educator, which is also a fantastic musician, which is a conductor, and also has, you know, the New York Philharmonic to make these fantastic examples. But at the same time, the way he talks is so clear because he can talk to you about anything like literally anything, Mahler, Wagner, you know, even Schoenberg and Dodecaphonism, but with such a clear examples that everybody, you know, understands. And aiming for kids, because it's not actually, you know, only for kids, which that, that is why it makes it so brilliant. You open the door for a, such a broad audience because yes, we're talking to kids, but you're not talking to kids like kids. That's the thing. You are respecting them, like people that already think and they have ideas and they can manage information, which is fantastic. So I grew up with that concept in my head. So every time I could, I kind of like do my own version of it. You know, every time I had a piano recital, I talked to the audience and then it came the opportunity to actually make something about it in terms of like a concept of video, image, everything. And I always had this idea of like, trying to adjust this philosophy of teaching, but doing it in a, in a contemporary way, which means a lot on how you affect the audiences on the length of the videos, because you have to be really short now. You know, you, you can't have 20 minutes talk because nobody will see it. But um, I, I, by the time I, I, I did it, we were thinking of five minutes, which now, 2022, it, it seems like a really long movie, five minutes. But when we did it six years ago, it was like, okay, that's the target. And every episode, it's about a concept, more than pieces. So the first is called the silence. And so I talk about how the silence becomes much more than absence of sound, which is actually more about like how the, the, the sounds are hold by the silence. And, and, when, and when we can experience the silence, it's so much about the expression 
more than anything else. Then I talk about expectations, about humor in music, about form, about dissonances and consonances, which is an episode that I love because I try to make this kind of like a like a, a political debate between the, the the dissonance party and the consonance party, and <laughs> and both defense their own rights to exist. You know, so at the end, it's more about like saying you know, the dissonance is not an absence of consonants, but actually it's kind of like a consonance by itself, by its own merits. So I did this with a lot of, you know, uh, um, special effects and, and things that makes really engaging for viewers. And it became kind of like a success in Chile. You know, they, they, they loved it. They passed it through uh, the cable station. And uh, I don't know, people really appreciate it because everybody uh, said the same thing that it was like so clear the message and that you actually could learn and to answer your your question about like who i was targeting actually i i, I wasn't i always had in mind that i wanted to to do something that it could be used by absolutely anyone like kids grown-ups uh, uh people that hasn't been in a concert hall at all, at all mus professional musicians like everyone and to my happiness, actually, that's what I got after, you know, a year or two of uh, exposition of those uh, episodes. I was so moved when people from, you know, from nowhere, like said, you know, I never thought I could experience classical music this way. I've never been in a concert hall, but I want to go. Or professional musicians, trained musicians, concert, concert players that they told me, you know, I never thought about that in that way. So thank you. So this is what I wanted, you know? I don't know how, but we managed to make a, uh, a speech that made sense to everybody. I um, watched the one on minimalism. I enjoyed that. Ah. Yeah, and you are so, um, I, the approach is so not, you know, uh, stereotypical classical music. Right, which also I think helps because I think nowadays people uh, appreciate when you find your artists closer to you, you know, like, like, normal people which is what it is actually but somehow we grew up thinking about this kind of like separation uh which i maybe at some point worked but not anymore i mean now it's all about the opposite bringing this to the table in a normal conversation between people that might love different things or do different things but they are connected through this one thing which is art let's talk about uh <clears throat> the pieces that are going to be on the program when you come to Charlotte? Yes. Is the Gabriela Ortiz first on the yes. program? Yes. Okay. Gabriela's piece is first. Okay. Stenic. Invenciones del Territorio. I love the piece. I think it's great. It's, I, I love, in, in general, uh, Gabriela's music. It has two qualities that I always admire in a composer. One of these is that it's a, it's a well done piece it's well written you know it's, it's it has everything it has like a the structure the the ideas the development of, the, of, of those ideas it's actually reaching orchestration so it's colorful it's, it has everything and, and at the same time it's playable which sometimes it's one of the most the most great challenges for uh, new music you know that sometimes composers write pieces that are just impossible to play and that is a little, a little bit frustrating for players but this is not this is like well written so that is one of the the main uh thing that i appreciate about her music but the second aspect of it is that it's music that gets to the audience immediately and i think that's it's really important because you could have great ideas and you can make a fantastic structure and shape it in 
kind of like an intellectual way, which is kind of perfect. You know, like you can go to an, an academy and, and have an, an A plus <laughs> as uh, your or orchestration or composition class. But then it doesn't touch the soul of the audience. And I think that's a mistake because at, at the end, everybody wants to make a piece of music as a bridge of communication between musicians, but also with audiences. So that is why I appreciate uh, Gabriela's uh, music because it's a good piece, but at the same time, it's a piece that people enjoy, they love. And they enjoy it because it's full of fascinating ideas. This is a piece, a piece that is based on one concept, which is identity. That's the whole concept. Identity of, of human being and, and, and how every, every single uh, soul form the identity through their the, the pure existence, the, the pure self being, but at the same time, how this affects to your land, to, to the place you are. So that is why the piece itself, it's built on fragments of ideas because it's kind of like to shape different uh, point of view, point of view, like uh, your own uh, existence. So this idea of the identity in, in musical terms, you can experience this through the really, how to say, like exotic melodies that you obviously can tell it comes from the, the Mexican root of, uh, of the folklore. But at the same time, the rhythms, the rhythms are so alive. There's, it's, it's kind of like the, this machinery that is always evolving into a fantastic climax at the end. It's an ex exciting piece. And I think people always enjoy it listening. So I'm completely sure that in Charlotte will love it. What comes after that on the program? Is it the Kabalevsky? Yes, Kabalevsky, cello concerto number one, which is a rarely performed uh, cello concerto. It's a piece that I think it's, it's worth to get to know because he wrote two cello concertos. And the main aspect, I think, of the, the first piece is that he, he wrote it thinking about having this piece to train musicians in, in a good way, you know, you know, in, to develop musicianship. At the same time, it represents a moment in history and that is why maybe it become uh, somehow kind of um, in the shadows because Kavalevsky belonged to the Soviet Associate of Composers. And what, while he was there, other Soviet composers that didn't have the, the best time, you know, like Shostakovich or Prokofiev, accused him about like being someone that took advantage of his position to be safe and without any problems. So somehow that political uh, surrounding made his music to get into the shadows. But I think it's not completely fair because there are a, a, a lot of pieces by Kavalevsky, especially in the, in the piano world, because he was a pianist, that uh, are uh, worth noting, you know? And one of these are, uh, is this uh, cello concerto, which has this uh, soul core in the second movement, which is dedicated to, to the, the soldiers from the First and Second War. So it has this kind of like sense of the historical content context. Also, the third movement is based on, on uh, this uh, Russian melody. So I think it's, it's a good piece. I think it's great that we have the chance to, to get to listen it, you know, through the hands and, and uh, musicality of uh, Christine, which is uh, a fantastic soloist. So I think uh, in this case, it's the perfect piece, you know, to, to make the, the whole program kind of like an innovative, fresh approach to that repertoire that we don't know. Yeah, and Kabalevsky, um, while he was working in the 20th century, he's he's also a very, in my, what I've heard, 
tuneful and accessible yeah, composer absolutely absolutely yeah. accessible absolutely it's it's not at all this uh music that it's difficult to listen at, at the contrary it's actually really catchy <laughs> mm, yeah yeah then you'll finish out the program with the symphony number no. one by john Crigliano, which yes. was written in the 90s i believe yes okay in 1991 i think something like that yeah that's a big piece. That's uh, a substantial piece uh, of the 20th century. Uh, I think it's um, it's a powerful one. That's I think it's 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 the most important message of the of the of the symphony because he wrote this affected by the AIDS pandemic and how many of his close friends died by AIDS. So this was such a powerful moment for him. The the loss and and how. He experienced the world. So each movement is dedicated to uh, a particular friend of him that died by AIDS. And the way he builds all his ideas on the symphony are related to something musical with their friends. So in the, in the first movement, there is this amazing moment, which is really uh, kind of heartbreaking, that you listen this tune from Albanese, the, the, the tango, tango from Albanese from the offstage. So it's, it's, it's this piano that is located offstage because this friend, uh, he was a, a pianist that he, he loved this, this piece of music. The second one is a tarantella because Corigliano wrote a set of short, easy pieces for several friends. And the last one was a tarantella. So this motion of the tarantella, it's based on this piece that he wrote before but at the same time is is the most fragmented of all the the movements because Corigliano wanted to put in music the AIDS dementia which was something that his friend had so somehow is the sound world of this movement tried to depict how it would be to experience the world through that particular dimension and the third one it, it's written to an, a, an old friend of him that also died uh, an amateur cellist and it's fantastic because the way he recollected the music to to make the introduction, the solo cello and, and all this is from tapes that they both recorded when they sat down at the piano and the cello and just, you know, have like a jam session, improvising, improvising. So uh, Corigliano took the these uh, recordings and from there he extracts the melodic ideas to put it on the, on, on the third movement. So it's a really, really personal music uh it's with a lot of moments that are incredibly powerful you know the, the orchestration the the chords the the dissonances the rhythms but at the same time is this uh, really um, effective way to to put uh homage uh, to all the, the people beyond his friends that were uh, victims of aids in the 90s so if each movement is you know um, inspired by a different person, and it sounds like they have different characteristics. Yes. How does the piece work as a whole? Well, it's it's written in four movements, so it, it's okay. it's it's a good uh, thing that there are contrasting ideas because I mean the, there are kind of separate moments, but the fourth movement is the epilogue, and and the epilogue it comes to put together all the ideas that happened in the symphony so far as a uh, last moment of like a funeral march that uh, dissolves at the end in the same uh, way the symphony started so it is kind of this uh, really rounded message well it sounds like a fascinating program and it's um it's going to be interesting 
to yes, when you I think perform so it too. in Charlotte. Well, I want to thank you for your time and explaining all of that um, and explaining your work. And uh, we look forward to welcoming you uh, to Charlotte to perform with the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. Just reintroduce you as we finish. <laughs> Tell people who they've been listening to. It's Paolo uh, Bortolomioli, who is coming to be the guest conductor uh, with the Charlotte Symphony on Friday, the 25th of February and Saturday, the 26th of February. And again, thank you so much for your time, Paolo. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I, uh, I hope I see you, all of you, <laughs> at the concert. This has been Piedmont Arts, and it's made possible by Quo Vadis and Ortho Carolina. I'm Rachel Stewart.